Well, please keep your Bibles open there at uh, at James. And uh, we might just ask the Lord to bless this time uh, around his word together. Father, this morning, uh, again, we're just privileged to be able to uh, have this time where, Lord, we can focus particularly on you and on your word to us today. Lord, we recognise that, uh, again, your word is a living word, a word that, uh, although written so many uh, years ago, speaks very much into our lives, into our current world situation today. Lord, it is a word that that has in in it an inherent power because it is your word. It has a power to transform lives. It has a power to bring new life into a person through the preaching of your word, through through the power of your gospel and through the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, this morning we ask that as we do open up your word together, as we hear from you, that you might just give our hearts uh, just that uh, right perspective of, of who we might be in, in light of what the passage says to us today. And Lord, we pray that, uh, that we might also be uh, just encouraged by our passage. Lord, as we see that, uh, as we're reminded that for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that transforming work you are uh, working within us, Lord, uh, we can see it evident in our lives and uh, give you thanks for that. And so we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in these first uh, 13 verses of uh, chapter 2, James is uh, really at great pains, if you like, to basically uh, make believers aware of this particular sin of partiality. And we saw uh, last week that partiality is, is making a judgment about someone based on external criteria, based on out, outward appearances. Uh, it's, it's kind of like playing favourites, if you like, for personal benefit. And James's command simply in verse 1 of this passage is for believers that we are not to do it. He says, do not show partiality. My brothers, show no partiality. That's very much a, 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 it's as blatant and as, as simple as he can get. Just do not have this as a part of your life. Now, for James to say that, it means that it's obviously, it was obviously prevalent within the church in his day. It was something which, uh, which, which he saw that is, be, that is taking place in his church. And so as he's writing to these Jewish believers, he says, look, you know, I can see this going on among you and I want you to stop it. I want you to cut it out of your lives. And what we need to remember is that the early church was, was made up of, of, of people from all walks of, of life, similar to the church today. There were Jews and Gentiles, there were rich and poor, there were slaves and masters, etc. As you read through the, the New Testament letters and particularly through, through Acts, you see you know, how the, uh, the, the makeup of the church and some of the issues that the church faced throughout, uh, throughout its, uh, its, uh, its early life. One of those incidents we read about in Acts chapter 6 was where, um, where there was a, uh, an incident that arose in Jerusalem, in the Jerusalem church, between the, uh, the, uh, the Jewish widows and the Greek widows of the, of the church. Those ladies who had, been, uh, who had lost their husbands, and there were the Jewish, the Jewish widows and the Greek widows. And what was happening is that the Greek widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. The Jewish widows were being looked after, were being taken care of, but the Greek widows, the Gentile widows, were really being forgotten about. And we see just in that there was this element of favouritism that was rearing its ugly head. And of course, we, you know, we know the church came together and said, right, we need to sort this problem out. And they did. Favoritism causes division. And it causes disunity in the family of God, in the body of Christ. 
And Ephesians 2 tells us that, that Christ came to actually break down these walls of division. You read through Ephesians 2, it talks about Christ who came to break down these dividing walls of hostility between people, and particularly between Jew and Gentile, because in that day, particularly, there was a, a great division because the Jews considered themselves the people of God, the, the favoured people of God, and yet God had said that, you know, that right from the beginning of, of, of when he first called Abraham, he said, you know, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And, uh, and, of course, that meant the Gentiles as well, those people who were outside of the Jewish race. That's you and me, folks. That's you and I. And uh, we were there in God's thoughts right at the beginning of time. Paul, writing to the Galatians, says that when it comes to our standing before God in terms of our salvation, that, uh, that we're all equal, that every single one of us are equal. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When it comes to our salvation, when it comes to salvation in Jesus Christ, we are all on level ground. We're all equal in God's sight. And last week we, we kind of pointed out how favoritism or how we show favoritism in our lives. We see it demonstrated in all sorts of forms in our world today. And one of those ones that, uh, that's, that's quite prevalent is racism in our world. We see, it, we see it rear its ugly head in all kinds of ways in our world today. But we see it in, in different ways as well. And we talked about this a little bit last week. We mentioned some of the examples. You know, we sort of see it in regards to uh, our world today in terms of the elderly of our, of our, of our societies. How we, you know, the elderly are often, you know, badly treated or, or they, uh, you know, we try to, we would favour the younger over the older today in our society. We see, you know, the uh, favouritism towards, or uh, well, we see the lack of favouritism, if you like, towards those with mental illness in our society today. Things, people, the, the people who are disabled, the poor and the helpless in our societies. And then we spoke about how we even see it in our churches today. How we see this partiality or this favouritism playing, playing favourites that, that comes up in our churches. And we saw how uh, you know, we, can, uh, we can sort of tend to forget people. We can tend to favour some groups over others. And people who get left out in churches often are those who perhaps are, uh, are single. The single people in our churches today are often uh, left out because there's so much an emphasis on family and, and on children and things like that. We saw it too how uh, you know, we... Uh, we, um, we can sometimes show favouritism to those who think a little bit differently to us, have different theological views or, or different political views to us. We can often show favouritism to those who, who are like us, but those who aren't like us and we'll sort of just you know, hold back a little bit. But all, in, whenever we play these favourites, whenever we show favouritism, oftentimes it's, it's always for our own personal benefit, to make us feel better about ourselves or for us to gain something out of it. Remember, uh, you might have recalled last week when I was speaking about that conference that we'd, got, we'd, uh, we'd gone to uh, Friday week ago, a few of us from here, from church, and how the speaker had said that, uh, they're talking about how God pursues us. You remember that from last week, those of you who are here, how God has pursued us in terms of our salvation? That even when we were sinners, even when we were completely alienated from God, rebelling against him, that God in his love and in his grace and in his mercy pursued us, chased, actively chased after us, if you like, to call us to himself, to call us into this special relationship with himself. 
And if we are his children, if we're truly his followers, then, then that should reflect us in, in our lives as well. We should be people who, with, you know, with God's help, pursue others to bring them to God, to help them to know the, the wonderful message of freedom that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that wonderful message of salvation that is found only in him, that we should be people who pursue others. We said last week that we, you know, the, the people who are new, you know, the newcomers to our church, those who are down in their spirits, the downcast, the disengaged, the alien, the stranger, those who are lost in our society today. We need to be people who pursue them, to pursue after them in order to tell them about the love of Jesus for them. As we saw in our passage last week in James chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, the reason why James points out that partiality is wrong is because it's inconsistent with the Christian faith. It's inconsistent with the faith that we profess to have as Christians, namely because it's contrary to God's character. Now, to be a, to be a Christian, to, to hold to that faith in Jesus Christ means that we ourselves are meant to conform to God's ways in our lives. That we will be like him in our character. We've been speaking about this the last few weeks. You know, like father, like child. If we are truly children of God, then that will show in our lives. God's character will be manifest in our lives, albeit imperfectly. But yet it will be there. We will be like God in in his character and in in our behavior towards others. And one of the things we learn from Romans chapter 2 and verse 11 is that God is a God who does not show favoritism. He does not show partiality. Now, not only is it inconsistent with our Christian faith, with the the faith we profess, but what, uh, what, what partiality also does is it goes against God's actions particularly when it comes to favouring the rich over the poor. Paul used this, uh, uh, sorry, um, James used this, uh, this illustration last week of the, the poor man who came into the church and the rich man who came into the church. Both arrived at the church on the, on the same day and it was the rich man who was you know, ushered to a, to a seat and sort of shown favouritism by those around about them, but the poor man was basically just you know, ignored. And James is, James is saying, you know what, He's, he says, when it comes to God, God actually looks, has a special concern for those who are poor in our world today. That is God's heart. So if you kind of favour the rich over the poor, then in many ways you're, all, you're contradicting God's plan, God's purposes, God's special concern for those poor in our world. So we automatically, if in favouring the rich over the poor, we place ourselves in opposition to God. So we see that you know, to show partiality not only goes against God's, in God's character, but it also goes against the way God acts in our world. And what James now goes on to say in verse 8 is that it also goes against God's royal law. God's royal law. Now you might ask, well, what's meant by this term royal law? I don't think I've, I've heard that before. Well, obviously, it's got something to do with loving our neighbour because James links it with, with, with this in, in this passage. He says, if you really fulfil the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. And he says, if you do that, then you're doing well. You're doing good. You're doing what God calls you to do. 
When Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was, what did he say it was? It was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. We see that in Mark chapter 12. We also see uh, Jesus um, being re- those words of Jesus being recorded for us in Luke 10 as well. It says we are to love our na- sorry we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Jesus didn't leave it there because he then went on to say that we are also to love our neighbour as ourselves. He's quoting here from Leviticus chapter 19. So this wasn't just something new to the the people of Jesus' day. This was already written down in the law back in Leviticus, a law that the Jews would have known very, very well. And Jesus says, you know, there's no more important commands than these two. In fact, all of of, of God's law are summed up in these two very commandments, to love God and to love others. And so in this sense, that, that's why it is, it's called the royal law, because it is the, it's supreme. They are the most important, if you like, when it comes to how we live out our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, how we obey God. But not only is it you know, the fact that it's the most important or most, these are the most important or most supreme commands, Jesus says it also points us to how a person is to live as part of the kingdom of God. And you know that you know, if, if, we, if we live in a kingdom, then a kingdom has a king, right? Jesus is our king. And therefore, because it's the royal law because it, is, it comes from our king, the one who is sovereign over us. So it's the royal law and the fact that it sums up all of the law, but it also comes to us from the king, the king of kings. And James says that if we really fulfill this royal law, then we are doing well, that we are doing what is right and good according to God. And James might refer to it as, you know, this whole aspect of, 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 of living out a pure and undefiled religion. Remember, he spoke about that right at the end of, of James chapter 1. So here's the overarching principle James is getting to. The overarching principle when it comes to how we treat others is we are to love them, to love our neighbour as ourselves. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. This, is, this comes from the passage where Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. They've shared the last meal. They're just about to share the last meal together. Jesus washes their feet. He takes off his outer garments. He puts a towel around him, and he literally washes the feet of his disciples. The master washing his students' feet, so to speak. And Jesus says, you know... As I have done this for you, you now need to go that and act out that in, in, in a way in which you, know, you live out your lives. To be humble, to serve others as I've come to serve you. And then Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, okay, by the love that you have for one another, then people will know that you are my disciples. This is the fundamental characteristic of a Christian. Love for God and love for one another. We see it repeated in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 11 where John writes, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should love one another. Now, if James had kind of left his, uh, you know, this, this, this talk on partiality at verse 7, then... Uh, then, you know, we could, we, we could be forgiven to think that God actually acts favorite, in, in, with favorites to, towards people 
And therefore, we as his people should act in that way as well. Because James has just said, you know, that God certainly has a special concern towards the poor over the rich. So if, we were just, if, if James was just to leave it there, people could, just, could, could think, well, okay, well, if God favours the poor, then we'll just favour the poor over the rich all the time. And of course, that's not the case at all. Okay, this is just a, an illustration that, uh, that James was using. But what we find here is that James is bringing a corrective to that kind of thinking, okay? When he says that we are to love our neighbour as ourself. We are to love our neighbour. And who is our neighbour? Who is our neighbour? Everyone. The parable of Good Samaritan. We see this, this, uh, this religious person, this religious leader in Jesus' day come and, and test Jesus and says, you know, Lord, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? Same, kind, same, same question. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. And the, and, the, and the scribe says to him, well, who's my neighbour? In other words, who, who do I have to kind of love and, who, and who, can I, who can I kind of leave out? And Jesus gives that wonderful parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, the man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And, uh, and whilst he's travelling down, he gets mugged by a, by a group of robbers and they basically leave him on the side of the road, basically, you know, basically almost at the point of death. And as, uh, as, he, as he's laying there in the, uh, in the hot sun, a, uh, a priest comes walking by. A religious person, the person that you would most likely think would actually have compassion on this man and seek to help him. And yet what does he do? He goes to the other side of the road and he walks on by and keeps going. And then the next person that comes along is a Levite, who, is, who again was very much a part of the priestly, the priestly people in, 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 in the, in the, old te- in the uh, people of Israel. And he too sees this man lying there and, 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 and does exactly the same thing. And then Jesus says, along comes a Samaritan. Now to a Jewish audience, this was, this was a slap in the face by Jesus because the Samaritans were a despised group of people to the Jews. And Jesus says it was the person who you despised who actually was the one who showed mercy on this person and cared for him and actually sacrificed things of of himself, his time, his money, in order to make sure that that man was well cared for. And Jesus says, here's the man who's shown mercy. Now you go and do likewise. We are to love our neighbour as ourselves, rich and poor alike, regardless of who they are. Regardless of who they are. Now, when we think about it, I'm sure that we can all think of probably some people who we would really struggle to show love towards, don't we? Can't we? Jesus says we ought to love everyone. Rich and poor alike. And the key to how we are to love our neighbour is in loving them as we love ourselves. Now, can I say that there are people in this world who do really love themselves? I'm not going to name names. 
Well, I hope not. But there are. We know. We, they, we just, you can see it, can't you? It is so, so visible to see when a person really has got tickets on himself. But that's not, that's not how James is, is wanting us to think here. Okay? He's not wanting us to have a, an overinflated opinion of ourselves. But what he means to say is that we have to show the same kind of concern, of care, and of, and of, and of attention to others as we would show to ourselves. That same kind of care, concern, and attention to others as we would show to ourselves. Now, I think probably the, you know, all of us here that today, when we, when we got up this morning, we came to church, we actually took time to probably wash ourselves or you know, to brush the teeth, to comb the hair, to put on some clothes, that sort of thing, to come to church this morning. Yes, that's showing ourselves care and attention, isn't it? Concern. We ourselves are to show that same kind of care and concern. Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, and in this particular passage, he's, he's talking about the, um, how uh, you know, a man is to love his wife. Okay? And he uses the example of Christ. And, he's, and he's, he's, he's just talked about, you know, women, you need to be, you know, you need to be subject to or submissive to your husbands, so respect your husbands, all right? But then he goes on to say, but husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he goes on to say in, in, chapter, in verse 29, he says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. We look after ourselves. We nourish and cherish Ourselves, We look after ourselves and that's the same kind of care and concern that we need to have for those around about us in our world today. We need to treat others as we would want them to treat us with kindness and with respect and with value. And when we treat our neighbour in this way, James says we are doing well. We are doing good. We are doing what God has called us to do. But to show partiality, that's the, that's the complete opposite of this loving others as ourselves. To show partiality is completely opposite to the royal law. And if we show partiality, James says that we in fact break God's law. We become transgressors and sinners. That word sin, by the way, that sinner, means to actually fall short of the mark. It's the picture of, a, of, of, of an archer uh, shooting an arrow at a, at a target, okay? And the, the, purpose, the, 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 uh, the purpose in that is to try to get the arrow as close to the centre of the target as you can. But in this case, the arrow doesn't even reach the target. It falls way, way short of the target. That's what sin means. It means to fall way short of God's standards. And we all are, are guilty of that. To be a transgressor, on the other hand, is to actually overstep the boundaries that God has put in place. You know, if you, were, uh, you go to, uh, to a property and it says that trespassers, you know, no trespassing. I've seen someone that says, you know, trespassers shot, survivors prosecuted. Thankfully, we don't do that too often in this society. But to trespass is actually to go across a boundary and to, and to go into a place where we're not meant to be. And that is what happens when we transgress God's laws. We actually step over this boundary that God has put in place and we put ourselves in a place where we are not meant to be. 
So we, be, we are sinners and we are transgressors in light of the law. And we, in that fact, we are deserving of judgment. So what we need to understand is that we can sometimes think that, you know, there, uh, Jerry Bridges wrote a book um, a, few, a few years ago called Respectable Sins. Respectable Sins. Because there are certain sins as Christians that we tend to tolerate a lot. You know, we, we don't sort of see them as being particularly serious sins. And this, past, this, this sin of partiality kind of falls in that, sort of, that, that kind of group. You know, we don't consider it as, as serious as, as murder or adultery, for instance, that, 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 uh, that James speaks about here. For he says, for, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So here is James, he throws up these really, really serious sins that people would have seen as serious, and, and, and he sort of you know, compares them with the sin of partiality. And people think, well, you know, partiality, that's not really that serious after all. But James says, you know what? If you're guilty of breaking one sin, then you're guilty of breaking all of God's law. Simple as that. Because oftentimes the way we think about it is that we often think that you know, if, we, um, if, we, uh, you know, if, we, uh, if we if we're good, if we do you know, good things, if we do kind acts and that sort of stuff, then we kind of, you know, sort of start to build up this kind of uh, nice little pile of, of good deeds, you know? And we think, you know, we build up, build up our pile of good deeds and we think, oh, God's pleased with us because of that. But when we do wrong things, it kind of just, you know, we sort of start to take some of those good deeds away, you know? The, the other side sort of ch- tends to get a little bit greater. But providing that our good always outweighs our bad, then we think we're okay. In fact, I think that was, that's probably how the vast majority of people today in our world think. Providing the good outweighs the bad, then we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. But what James is saying here is, you know what, it's not about you know, this being weighed on the scales of, that our good outweighs our bad. He says, because once you break the law in any kind of way, shape or form, it's broken completely. And you are a sinner and a transgressor. And therefore, in deserving of God's judgment. One commentator I read said he, he kind of, he, um, he pictures the, the law as a, as a nice big glass window. And when we disobey the law, it's kind of like throwing a brick at that glass window. And what happens to the window? Smashes to pieces. In disobeying the law, any one piece of that law, any one bit of the law automatically puts us at odds with God, in opposition to God, and recipients of his judgment, or worthy only of his judgment. Showing favouritism, folks, is something which yeah, we, we often put in that basket of, oh, well, you know, it's not all that bad, but it makes us a sinner and a transgressor in God's sight. Simple as that. Folks, we are called to obey God in all of his laws, in every single one of them. It's not for us to pick and choose what laws we'll go along with and what laws we don't go along with. 
Because when we start to do that, when we start to, to sort of think, well, okay, well, you know, I can get away with this. But, you know, that's probably a little bit more serious than this. So I can, I can get away with, with, with turning a blind eye to that in my life, to turning a blind eye to that sort of sin in my life. Because it's, it's really not that major. Automatically, what does that do? But it puts us in the place of God. It makes us our own God because then we are automatically saying to God, well, you know what? We're actually, we put ourselves in authority over you because we're going to be the ones who determine what's right and what's wrong in our lives. And the minute we do that, the minute we place ourselves in that, that place of God or the position of authority in our lives, again, we completely undermine who God is. And sadly, again today, we see that in many, many people's lives in our world and in the church. That we think that we can put ourselves in authority, in that position of authority, over God. And God says it's not on. It's not on at all. So don't think that it's okay to just you know, sort of turn a few blind eyes to, you know, and, and call things white lies or small sins. Because there is no such thing in God's sight. James says there in, uh, in verse 12, he says, Therefore, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Our justification before God is secured through Jesus Christ. It's secured purely through faith in Jesus Christ as, and in his atoning work on the cross and his resurrection. That's the only way that we can stand before God is to, is to recognise that we are sinners and we need a saviour. We need someone to pay for our sin. It can't be by our own works. Paul tells that in Ephesians 2, it can't be by our own works. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that anyone might boast. The law of liberty refers, if you like, to this new covenant which Jesus himself has inaugurated. We've been freed from slavery to sin. We've been freed from the, from the, from the judgment that comes on us because of our sin. But what we've also been freed to do is we've been freed to live in obedience to Jesus Christ and to the law of God out of love. Paul talks about that in Romans 6. We have been set free from sin so that we might become slaves of righteousness. God gives us the ability to say no to temptation and sin. And folks, it is the way we live our lives, this, this speaking and this acting is what we will be judged by as Christians. You might think, hang on a minute, uh, as Christians, uh, we're not judged, are we? Well, no, we're not judged in terms of our salvation, but we're certainly judged in light of what we, how we live our lives according to the way Christ has called us to live. Listen to what Paul, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, whether those things you know, in, in, uh, in, in uh, obedience to the law or those things done in disobedience to the law. We all have to appear before Christ as our judge and give an account for the lives that we've lived for him.
See, folks, a genuine faith, a true faith in Jesus Christ will actually result in a changed attitude, a changed heart and changed behaviour in our lives. God guarantees it. God guarantees that that will be the case. Providing we, we, we keep submitting our hearts and our lives to the work of the Spirit within us. And it will be this conduct, this character, that will actually speak volumes to those around about us of whose children we really are. Whether or not we are truly children of God or not. That's why James says right at the end of here, he says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. I think here James has got in mind perhaps this parable of the Good Samaritan where you know, Jesus says, who, who, show, who showed mercy in this, in this parable? It was the Good Samaritan. The ones who didn't show mercy were the priest and the Levite. James is saying here, you know what? If, if your life you know, is, 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 is pretty much... Is, if, if, a, if an essential characteristic of your life is, is showing partiality to those, around about you, to, to those around about you and to not actually loving your neighbour as yourself, if that is a fundamental characteristic of your life, then James says, you know, the only hope that you have is to actually receive judgment and not mercy at the judgment seat of God. And it will be a terrifying thing to stand before the throne of God at the end of days and to not receive mercy. Yet James says, however, mercy triumphs over judgment. And he can say that in light of the person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, whose life is being changed and transformed, and again, albeit imperfect, imperfectly. Okay, we, we, we sin in our lives. We understand that. We don't always you know, do what, what God's word tells us to do. We're often guilty of showing partiality and favoritism to people around about us, to not loving others as we, as, as we love ourselves, as was God has called us to love them. However, we recognise that, we repent of that, and we ask God to, to help us to do better next time. But to the person who, whose life is characterised completely by showing partiality and favouritism and a lack of love in their lives, God says, it's signed, sealed and delivered, folks. No mercy. But to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James, James has been writing these words, this letter to these, these Jewish believers. He's been writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's been writing to these people with the very words of God. And saying, you know what? This is something you must not do in your life. It's something which we should not even see in the church. And what James is, is trying to get these, these, his readers to do is to examine themselves. 
to examine themselves in light of the scriptures, in light of what God says. And folks, this must be our response to God's word today, to us, that we need to examine ourselves. We, we need to seriously examine our hearts before God to see that, that we are not treating others with favoritism. And where we are, we need to repent of that. And we need to go to those people whom we showed favoritism you know, against and, and, and apologize for that and ask forgiveness for doing that. We need to see if we haven't been treating our neighbour as ourselves, we haven't been loving them as ourselves, we need to go and ask them forgiveness as well for those things. We need to demonstrate a gracious and loving concern equally for those around about us. And where we don't do that, we need to confess before God and make it right with those around about us. So the question today for us is this. Is this the normal pattern of our lives? Of not showing partiality and of loving our neighbour as ourselves? Is that the normal characteristic of your life today? If it is, then I trust you'll take comfort from knowing that God's spirit is at work in you. But don't rest on your laurels. Keep going. Keep striving. Maybe God's spoken to your heart today and, 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 and has made you realise, you know what? At the moment, I'm really not sure where I stand with God in this. I'm really not sure whether or not I actually am, am a person that actually is going to, going to get to that, that, that place where I've got to stand before God and God isn't going to show me mercy. But instead, I'm going to have to bear his judgment on myself for eternity. Today is an opportunity for you to recognize that and to come before God and recognize your need for a Savior in Jesus Christ and repent and put your faith and trust in him and have him turn your life around and give you new life in his name. Folks, we're not playing games here on a Sunday. We're not playing games. We are, we, this stuff is serious stuff. It is matters relating to eternity, to the very core of our lives. So let's not treat this stuff as, as, as insignificant. Let's not treat the word of God as though it is just some storybook but recognize that it comes with the very authority of God, that it is truth. And that impacts on each and every one of us every single day. Let us be people who are committed to putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and living that life that he's called us to live, not for our own glory, but for his. And to see people around us recognize that you know what there is something special about your life there's something different about your life what is it and you can say well you know what let me tell you about it let me tell you about him his name is jesus and he died for you because he loves you let's pray whilst we pray can i just ask the communion for the communion stewards to come forward please father god this morning we uh we want to thank you for these words from James. 
recognising indeed, Lord, that, uh, that we all have that, uh, I guess, that, that thing within us where, you know, we, we can sh- be partial, we can show partiality, we can favour some people over others. Lord, we want to confess that to you this morning. And say, Lord, we're sorry about that because we know from your word that it, that it goes against your character, it goes against your actions, and it goes against your law. And it's not right for the children of God. Help us to be people who truly love others with the love that you have for them. Lord, we can't do that in and of our own strength. We've got to do it with the help of your Holy Spirit within us. We pray, Lord, that today as we just now come around this communion table, we, we, we remember again, Lord, the, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that in itself points us to the seriousness of all sin. That for sin to be paid for, it would, it would mean that the, the glorious Son of God would have to come and give his life for us in order to bear the punishment, the, the wrath of God for our sin on himself. That's how serious you treat sin. Lord, help us to reflect today on the fact that even though we, uh, we are sinners, that we can have a confidence in knowing that as we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our saviour, our sins can be forgiven. That our sins are forgiven. And that you can help us to live lives which truly honour you and point people to you. Lord, as we partake of these elements this morning, this bread, the bread and the grape juice, Lord, they speak so powerfully of the, the body and blood of Jesus Christ given for us as our substitute there on the cross. Lord, they speak of the, the life given for us the forgiveness that comes through faith in Jesus. Lord, help us to reflect on this morning the the fact that we cannot just treat sin in a very glib kind of a way. And if there is any sin in our lives today, Lord, that we need to come before you and repent of that, to get ourselves right with you, Lord, you've called us to examine ourselves. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, when he's speaking about the Lord's Supper, urges them to to examine themselves honestly before they partake of the Lord's Supper. Lord, as we just pause for a moment to examine ourselves, I pray, Father, you might just point out to us those things in our lives which really at the moment really go against you and your word but lord are really not suitable for the character of the people of god help us to to reflect on those things and, and to and to ask for your forgiveness today to repent of them and say sorry lord and ask for your help in in living lives which which truly do honor you Lord, for those this morning who may not know where they stand with you, I pray that they would just use this time as a time of reflection themselves to to truly see, Lord, that you are a God who truly loves them, that you have given your life as a ransom for them and that, 
Lord, the offer of salvation is open to them right now, freely. Whether they need to recognise their need for a saviour and come in humility and repentance before him today. Lord, we thank you for the fact that your salvation is a free gift to us. We thank you, Lord, that your salvation comes to all, regardless of who we are. Father, we pray that that we would recognise today that everyone stands equal at the foot of the cross. Father, help us today also to remember that as we go about living our lives for you, that we need your help every day. And so eating of this bread and drinking of this cup today, although there is nothing powerful in and of themselves, it reminds us again of our need to be completely dependent upon you and your spirit for the, for, to be able to live that life that you've called us to live. And so we just want to ask now that you would just truly use this time as a very important time, a very reflective time for us in our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we hand out these elements this morning, I want you to partake, eat of the bread and of yourselves, but I want you to hold the cup that we all might drink together in fellowship this morning.